Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. He then, then he will answer from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who <clears throat> seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What, <clears throat> what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Mindy. Uh, we're talking about prayer this morning. Um, We'll be starting our Advent series next week, and we'll be talking more about prayer in the new year, but I thought this would be a good opportunity just to kind of overview prayer, and what prayer is, what do we do in prayer. We've got Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday. I hope you're all anticipating it. I hope you have a place to go. If you don't, come and talk to me, because now you do. Um, but uh, we've got Thanksgiving coming up, and, and when we gather around that Thanksgiving table, some of us have traditions. I hope you have some traditions around the Thanksgiving table. We certainly do. Uh, you know, one of the most common traditions, of course, is to go around the table and say, what, what am I grateful for? Uh, the, the great task of Thanksgiving, the, the great call of Thanksgiving, really is not so much like just getting together and celebrating, but to remind ourselves to live in gratitude every other day of the year. Just like Christmas is really about reminding ourselves that Jesus has come on the Thursday in July as well as Christmas morning, uh, it's to remind us that Jesus is always with us. Thanksgiving reminds us, it's a call to us to live in constant gratitude. And that's what the gospel really is. The, the gospel of Jesus is a call to us to live in constant gratitude to God. The good news of Jesus calls us to live in constant gratitude to him, to obey him, to, to follow him, and to pray to him, to be in conversation with God, to be in communion with God. I heard it said this week on a podcast I was listening to that prayer is more about communion than communication. That really prayer is more about just 
being with God, being together with God, communing with God than it is about even talking to and hearing from God. I can understand that. Anybody who's married or been in a romantic relationship can understand this. Uh, Anybody who's been in a relationship with anybody uh, for a very long time in any kind of intimate relationship knows that that communion can be so much deeper than simply communication, that those times just sitting together and being together and not even saying a word can be as valuable as the times when we're having ongoing conversation. And that's what our relationship with God is to be about. It's to be about communion with him, just being with him, whether we're saying anything or not. This is why for a Christian, it can be okay to just meditate in the Lord. Just to be calm and quiet and still and be in God's presence. I'm not talking about weird, like, trying to mine the depths of myself and, like, find God within me. That's, that's Eastern meditation. I'm talking about communing with the God of Scripture, communing with Jesus, communing with the Holy Spirit of God, and just allowing His presence to be there with you and to be in His presence. Prayer is about communing with God, not necessarily about all the words we use when we do communicate with God. And that's why I love what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 11. Because a lot of us struggle to pray. A lot of us struggle with prayer. There are a lot of Christians, myself included, I'll be the first to raise my hand on this, who really struggle to spend regular seasons and periods of time in prayer. For those of us, especially those of us who are doers by nature, who really love to do stuff and be active all the time and and show our love best by the things that we do for others, prayer can feel empty. It can feel almost unnecessary. And yet prayer is absolutely essential to our lives. And and we're tempted to think that the first follower of Jesus, Jesus were really, really good at this. I mean, we're tempted usually to look back on the first followers of Jesus, on his disciples or his apostles, and assume that these were superhuman people who had perfect relationships with God because they had walked with Jesus. And because they knew Jesus personally, they did every spiritual thing to absolute perfection. And yet when we read the Gospels, we read these first four books of the, of the New Testament, the stories about Jesus, we find that in fact these guys were as messed up as you and me. I mean, they they fell just as short as you and I do of this perfection that we kind of hold them up to. And so they come to Jesus here at Luke chapter 11, and they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, you got to understand the relationship Jesus had with his followers. Jesus is a rabbi. When he is leading his guys, first and foremost for them, he is their rabbi, which is their teacher. They walk with him. They live with him. They learn from him. Their highest goal in life is to become like rabbi Jesus. And so they want to know how Jesus does everything. Jesus, how do you cut your fish? Because I want to cut my fish just like you cut your fish. And so now they come to Jesus as their rabbi, as their teacher, the one that they're trying to become like in every single way. And they want him to teach them to pray. They're saying, Jesus, how do you pray? What's your prayer like, Jesus? Because I want to model my prayers after yours. And this is why I love this. Because you notice this prayer goes on for a few lines. And then it ends. It stops. See, back in Matthew, when Jesus is teaching the same thing, when he gives us what's called the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he begins 
in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 by saying, look, you see those guys in the temple who are there like praying all day long and they're using big, eloquent words and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking and they're talking to God, much like my eight-year-old does to me. And they think that because they use all these words, they think that because they're eloquent, they think that because they're wordy, God is more likely to hear them. And then Jesus pivots and he says, no, in fact, here's how you pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer, that prayer that so many of us know. And here in Luke chapter 11, when it's Jesus' disciples who are asking him, how do we pray? He gives an even shorter prayer. And he doesn't say, like he does with the Lord's Prayer, that this is a model. In, in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray like this. What he's saying is, here's a model for prayer. No, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says straight up, whenever you pray, say. Right? This is not just a model. Right? Jesus is saying, here's the prayer. I'm giving you one. If you don't know how to pray, here's the prayer that you pray. Just say these words to God. And then he goes on, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. And that's it. That's all the words that Jesus uses in his prayer. When his disciples come and they say, teach us to pray, Jesus gives them this prayer and says, go say this. Say these words. You know, a lot of times when we talk about prayer, when we're taught to pray, people will say, well, just talk to God like you were talking to anybody else. And that's good and that's nice and it's true. You can't just talk to God like anybody else. But I think we, we overestimate. We overestimate our own abilities sometimes. We overestimate our own relationship with God. Sometimes we just need a stupid, simple prayer to pray. We need somebody to step up to us and say, here, you want to learn to pray? Just say these words. Just say this to God. It reminds me of that, that acronym, keep it simple, stupid. Right? That, was, that was attributed to a guy named Kelly Johnson. Kelly Johnson was an engineer for Lockheed Martin, for Lockheed Skunk Works, actually, that developed the uh, Blackbird and, and some of the spy planes that the U.S. Navy would use. And the story goes that Kelly Johnson had a team of engineers, and they're developing a jet. And when he, when he gives the, the team their orders, he gives them a set of tools, tools that any mechanic would have on a battlefield. And he says, you got to design this jet in such a way that any mechanic could repair the plane on the battlefield with just these tools. So keep it simple, stupid. Or keep it stupid, simple, either way. And this is Jesus' version of that. This is Jesus' version of it. His disciples are coming saying, teach us to pray. And Jesus is like, here's the simple prayer. Not a model. Don't like try to make it fancier than it is. Just say these words. And I think we overcomplicate prayer so often. And I'm wordy. All right, I'm a, I preach. I like words. I find myself, even in my, conversa in my daily conversation, repeating myself way too many times. And if I've ever had a conversation with you and you're like, Brandon, yes, you told me this three times. I'm sorry. I'm a wordy guy. And so my prayers tend to be wordy. And yet I have to come back to the scripture and be reminded that Jesus himself says, Brandon, God is not more likely to hear you for your many words than he is the person who says this stupid, simple prayer. That these words are just as good as all the preaching you want to do in your prayers. We used to have a rule in one of the ministries I worked for. No sermon prayers. Man, that was hard for me. 
It'd come my turn around the table, and I'd come to pray. I'm like fighting with myself all the time. Recently, I've been trying to preach shorter sermons. You see how that's been going, right? I'm one of these people. Maybe you are too. Or maybe you're one of these people who doesn't pray at all because it feels so overwhelming. It feels so daunting. And people like me, who are so wordy in our public prayers, make you feel bad about your prayers. I'm sorry for that. Maybe you don't pray at all. And here to you, Jesus is saying, here is a stupid, simple prayer for you to just say. Just use these words. Use Jesus' very words to pray. Start somewhere. Start with this. And yes, you can grow. I'm not saying that there's not a place for for longer prayers. There absolutely is. That's why Jesus gives us both this simple prayer and a model for prayer to model our prayers after. We see longer prayers in the scriptures. We see longer prayers from Jesus himself. John chapter 17 is one very long prayer from Jesus. And so Jesus himself models longer prayers, but there's not a wasted word in them. And that's what Jesus is really getting at here, is that our prayers are potent when we rely on God. Our prayers are potent when we just trust that God is good and God hears us and God knows what he's doing. And that's why he tells this parable after he gives us a prayer. So he gives us this simple prayer to pray, say these words, just pray this way, and then he tells the parable. Now, this parable gets misunderstood a lot. This parable gets, gets misapplied a lot. And so we're going to take a look at it, and maybe you've, maybe you've heard the misapplication of this prayer, this parable, that it's all about persistence in prayer, that you just need to keep going to God over and over, and that eventually God will give you what you're asking for if it's in line with his will. I don't think that's what this parable is about at all. So let's, let's look at this. This parable says, Jesus is telling a story, and he says, look, suppose one of you right, has a friend who comes to you in the middle of the night, at midnight, and they've got, they've got someone who's just arrived at their house. Now, in this world in which Jesus lived, hospitality is the highest virtue. It's the highest public virtue. You must practice hospitality. To not be hospitable to guests is a source of shame. And this world is one where your shame or your honor is everything. This is a shame and honor culture where you want to always be honorable. You never want to be shamed. And so if a guest shows up at your house and you don't have anything to give them, you don't have bread for them, that is a deep source of shame for you. It's a shame for your home. And also in this world at this time, you baked bread every single day. And so you didn't keep bread from day to day. It would go bad pretty quick. So you made your bread in the morning, and then that was your daily bread. That's why in Jesus' prayer we pray for our daily bread. You make your bread every day. So you didn't always have any left over. So if somebody did show up after dinner time, you don't have any on hand for them. But because people cooked publicly, because they cooked outside of their homes in the village, you might know, hey, you know what? You know, Jacob down the road, he baked a few extra loaves today. And so if you were out and someone came to your house, you might go to Jacob's house and be like, hey, Jacob, I saw you bake some extra bread today. Could you give me some so that I can not be shamed, so that I have bread to give to my guest? And Jacob would naturally say, yes. 
in this shame and honor culture, it would be absolutely unfathomable that anybody would deny their neighbor bread to give a guest. That would be a huge no-no. So this whole question at the beginning of this story is really a rhetorical one. When Jesus says, would any of you, if you were awakened at midnight by a friend who needed bread to give to a guest, refuse that friend? Would any of you say what this guy in the parable says? When he says, um, uh, he says, the door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed and I can't get up to give you anything. The, the whole point of that, if you're an original listener to that, is this guy's terrible. Nobody would do that. Nobody would say to his friend at midnight, no, I can't give you any bread if you've got extra bread. No, you'd get up and you'd give it to him. So the people who are listening to this are going, man, that guy's a jerk. Like that, that, That's not how any of us would behave. This is something Jesus regularly does. He tells a story in which one of the characters does something that's so out of character with the culture, so out of line, that you just, as a listener, go, wait a minute, no one would actually ever do that. And so the idea that anybody would refuse their neighbor bread at midnight when they need it for a guest is absolutely ludicrous to Jesus' hearers. They they, they hear that and they go, no way, no way would I do that. And that's when Jesus then turns and he says, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, that is, he's not doing this for friendship's sake. He's doing it because of the shameless boldness of the friend who asked for the bread. He says, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so what he's saying is the thing that gets the man out of bed to give him, to give his neighbor the bread is not their friendship. What gets him out of bed is the shamelessness of his friend who's asking for the bread. The, the friend who's come asking for the bread, he's, he's being shameless, right? He's getting this guy out of bed. He's waking him up in the middle of the night. It's shameless. It would also be shameless to not have anything to give to his guest. He would be shamed by that. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to, to show his face in, in town if he refused his guest's bread or if he didn't have bread to feed his guests. And so he would be shamed by that. And so his shamelessness is coming to his friend at midnight asking for bread. Does this make sense? So Jesus is saying, look, if you would get out of your bed because of the shameless request of your neighbor and give him what he's asking for, which is a good thing, bread for a guest, how much more then will God give you what you need? How much more will God give you what you ask? What Jesus is saying is here, look, you guys are sinful people. And sometimes you think like the jerk in the story. You guys are not always the best people. We're human. We're not. We fail. We fall short. We're not always great. And yet even us, in all of our sinfulness and in all of our brokenness, would not allow our neighbor to be shamed this way. Even we who are evil, would not allow our neighbor to be shamed by not having bread for his guest. We would get up and we'd give it to him. And if we can do that, if we can do that good thing in all of our sinfulness, in all of our brokenness, how much more will God, who is perfect, who is love, who is kindness, God, who gives his people what they need when they need it, how much more will the good God of heaven give you what you ask for? We give to one another even when we don't like each other. We give to one another in our need. We give to one another because we recognize it is a good thing to save our neighbor from shame. 
How much better is God than we are? And that's the point of this parable. God is better than people. And if people will give you what you need when you ask for it to save you from shame, how much more will God give you what you need? Now, the other application of this parable sometimes is that if you're just persistent, it goes along with the misapplication of being persistent in prayer. There's no persistence here at all. There's no second request. There's no continual knocking on the door. The neighbor just comes and asks, and the expectation is they get what they need. And so what goes along with the persistence of this is, if you've got your heart set on something, if you really want this thing, and it is good for you and it's not destructive, if you just keep praying for it, eventually God will give it to you. Once again, that's not, that's not present here at all. That's not what Jesus is saying. Listen to the rest of this, his application of the parable. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. That seems like carte blanche to ask for whatever we want, and that God will give it. I mean, if you read that alone, it seems like a promise, like God is going to give you whatever you ask for, if you just keep asking for it, if you just keep knocking, if you just keep seeking. It seems like right here, what Jesus is saying is, yeah, just like that guy at midnight who wanted the bread, like if you really, if, if, if you want that new car and it's good for you and you just keep praying for it, well, eventually God will give it to you because of your persistence. Basically, you can wear God down like an impatient parent. You can just wear God down by keeping coming to him and eventually God will just get so annoyed with you that he'll give you what you're asking for. Now, what on earth does that say about the character of God? Right? If that were true, what on earth does that say about who God is? God is long of nose. God is incredibly patient. God waits. God only gives what is good and right. The idea that we could wear God down by our persistence to get something from him that he may or may not think is good for us is absolutely unbiblical. It's out of line with everything that we know about the character of God. And that's why Jesus does what he does here. He says, if you just ask, he'll give it to you. But then he goes and he qualifies. And he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Or will, uh, if he asks for a good gift, is going to give him a bad gift? And then at the end, Jesus really turns the tables. Right at the end, right at this last verse, Jesus really changes the, the whole narrative here. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give whatever you ask for? How much more will God give you wealth? How much more will God give you riches? How much more will God give you comfort and peace? How much more will God give you health? No. Jesus qualifies it down to a very specific point here. He says, if you know how to give good gifts, and you guys are sinful and evil then how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now, this sounds less remarkable because we are Christians today than it did to Jesus' original hearers. The only people who got the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament were kings and prophets. The only people who got the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament were leaders of the nation and people who spoke on behalf of God. There was a sense in which all of the people of God collectively had God's Holy Spirit in them, but specifically, only great leaders got the Holy Spirit inside of them, working through them. 
Kings and prophets primarily. And so when you're one of Jesus' original Jewish hearers and you hear Jesus say to you, how much more will God give you the Holy Spirit? Your mind goes, whoa! Wait, that puts me on a level with the prophets and kings of old. That makes me a vessel for God, for God's presence, for God's words. And to you at this time, there is no greater gift you could have asked for than the Holy Spirit of God. And the exact same thing is true today. The very same thing is true right now for you and for me. There is nothing more, nothing greater we could ask of God than to have his Holy Spirit live within us. Now, we are 21st century Christians And we are in a Reformed church, which means the Holy Spirit doesn't usually get a lot of play. Doesn't usually get a lot of airtime here. And that's sad. Because there's no greater gift God gives to his people than his very presence, his very spirit. In fact, God doesn't have anything better he can give you than himself living within you. The Holy Spirit of God. It's what makes us new. It's what gives us new life. It's what brings us into new birth. God's presence within us is what empowers us to live and become like Jesus. God's presence inside of us is what empowers us to live for him. We can only do good in the world by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Let me say it again because this is a hard one. We as followers of Jesus can only really do lasting good in the world by the power of God's Holy Spirit living within us. Because only with God's Holy Spirit living within us can we do what God calls us to. Can we seek his purposes for the world? Only by the power of God's Holy Spirit living within us can we do what God wants of us. Otherwise, we're just grasping at straws. Otherwise, we're just, we're just striving and striving and never getting anywhere. We're trying to drive this car with no engine. We're trying to run this train with no steam. Without God's Holy Spirit, we are impotent. We are powerless to live for Christ. We're powerless to do what God wants us to do. And the access to God's Holy Spirit comes through prayer. That's the lesson of this parable. That's the lesson of Jesus teaching his followers to pray. We pray and God gives us his Holy Spirit. Not all of the comforts we could ever want, not all of the riches we could ever desire, not all of the peace and security and health and wealth that we could ever want. He gives us something so much greater through prayer. He gives us himself. God's presence in you and me. Prayer gives us access to God's Holy Spirit, access to God's very presence living within us. And the more that we pray, the more we appreciate that presence. The more that we pray, the more we we commune with God, the more in touch with his Holy Spirit we are, the clearer his voice becomes to us, and the more we know what God wants us to do, where he wants us to go, who he wants to make us into, what purposes he has for the world around us. 
Prayer is our lifeline to God. It's our access to God's power and presence. It's our access to God's plan for the world. And the more that we pray, the more in line with God that we are. That's why we pray. Prayer is the bedrock of everything that we do. It's the foundation of everything that we do. We could try to do so much as a church, and we have We have over the course of decades and generations, we as Christ Community Church and as an evangelical church and as just the church in the world, we have tried so many times in the past two millennia since Jesus lived to do all kinds of stuff without prayer. And it's fruitless. Because prayer is the foundation of what we do. As a church, we dare not do anything without anchoring it in prayer. Because it's through prayer that we connect with the Holy Spirit of God. We learn the way that he wants us to go and we receive the empowerment of God to do his purposes. And so here's here's a challenge to you as a church. If you're ever in a meeting with me or we're ever talking and we don't pray, call me out. If we're ever doing anything as a church, And you see us start to get into business or discuss stuff and there has not been prayer that begins everything, call it out. Sometimes I get so wrapped up in the business of what we're doing and in the things that's going on that I forget to stop and pray. And you're like, yeah, pastor, wait, that's your job. And you're right. So it's yours too. For followers of Jesus, we must root and anchor everything we do in prayer. And so my challenge to you is to never undertake anything without prayer, without bathing it in prayer, without going to God and praying. Maybe it's just this simple prayer of Jesus. The second challenge to you is to memorize this prayer, not even the Lord's Prayer. I mean, if you already have the Lord's Prayer memorized, that's great. Say it regularly. But if you don't, this one's even easier. So we're lowering the bar here, okay? Just like Jesus did for his disciples Because he knows that we are simple people who need simple processes. Memorize this prayer. Say it with regularity. Say it regularly. Just speak to God. And if you don't know how, use this prayer. And you'll find that the more you root yourself in prayer, the more you root yourself in this prayer and in the Lord's Prayer of Matthew, the more that you practice the the prayers that Jesus gave us, the better you'll become at praying your own prayers. Go back to the Psalms. The Psalms are the prayer book of God's people. They are prayers that were prayed to God over the course of millennia. There was a time in the church, and particularly in the Reformed Church, our tradition, where we only sang the Psalms. We didn't sing any other thing. We sang the Psalms set to music. Go back to the Psalms and read through them. Find those that really connect with where you are and who you are at the moment and pray them to God. There are other resources for prayer. Don't be afraid of using scripted prayers. There is no problem with using scripted prayers. We all need that help sometimes. There's a great book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers from the 1600s, 1700s. Go pick up the, even earlier than that, but go pick up the the book, The Valley of Vision. And just read through the prayers. There's another book called Every Moment Holy. It's a collection of prayers and of liturgy for all the regular moments of life. 
Go pick up that little book and read through some of those, memorize some of those prayers for you to say on the regular. Jesus wants us to pray because he wants to give us God's presence. God wants us to pray because he wants to give us his Holy Spirit. He wants to connect us with him. God desperately wants to commune with you and with me. God wants to know us and be known by us. And prayer is the way that we commune with God. And so, if I can encourage you to nothing else, and I've just given you some tools, but if I can encourage you to nothing else, just pray. Pray when you don't feel like it. Especially when you don't feel like it. Pray when you're angry. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're mad. Pray when you're glad. Pray when the sun comes up and when the sun goes down. Learn to pray. Start with simple prayers like this. Start with scripted prayers and then grow and learn. Become more proficient in prayer and see if God doesn't meet you where you are. See if God doesn't fill you with his presence and fill you with his power because it's the greatest gift that he has to give. And he secured that gift for us through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most beautiful thing about prayer is that we have access to God, complete, unfettered, undenied access to God through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood and broken body and empty tomb. And because Jesus reigns now as our King forever. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.